0: Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go.
1: A quick word from our sponsor, The Door Devil. Homeowners spend hundreds on alarm systems each year, but rarely reinforce the weakest point on the home, the doors. Bad guys know this, and that's why kick-ins are so common. Simply adding door devils. Virtually eliminates the home security gap. Sleep better tonight. Reinforce your doors. Visit DoorDevil.com and enter Best Ever to get an exclusive 20% discount on your purchase. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. I'm here with today's guest, Jonathan Twombly. Hey, Jonathan.
0: Hey, how are you, Joe?
1: Doing well. Jonathan is a manage, the managing member of Two Bridges Asset Management Company. His company focuses on multifamily properties in the southeast. He currently has over 230 units under control. His background is he's a former real estate lawyer uh, who specialized in litigation involving hotels and you know, other real estate assets. And he's now a board member of the Harvard Real Estate Alumni Organization here in New York City. So really excited to have Jonathan here today to you know, give us his best ever advice. And Jonathan, before we get into your best real estate advice, investing advice ever, can you tell us a little bit more about your real estate background?
0: Sure. Uh, so, as you mentioned, Joe, I was a, a lawyer for the first part of my career. Um, I practiced around the country, around the world, in, in New York, and Boston, and London, doing commercial litigation when I started, and eventually winding up towards the end of my legal career, doing uh, uh, having a real focus on on real estate related litigation. I spent a lot of time litigating on behalf of owners of first class luxury hotels against the hotel chains to, that manage those hotels for them. But I, you know, I had been not all that happy being a lawyer. I didn't feel it was entrepreneurial enough for me. Also, you know, the hours were terrible. The stress was very great, and uh, I really was looking for something else to do. Uh, real estate had always been a, a focus of mine, uh, or I should say, a, an interest of mine. Um, I'd spent a lot of time, you know, during downtime at the office, looking at property, underwriting property, just sort of fantasizing about buying property, and uh, had even gone so far as um with my now partner, although it wasn't my partner then kind of looking at some properties together w- with the idea of buying them um although we we didn't at the time uh you know I kept on being focused on it, and then I was a victim is probably not really the right word, although you could say I was a victim of the financial collapse. The work that I was doing really dried up about two thousand and nine took my firm a couple of years to decide that. It really wasn't going to come back, and they let me go in 2011. The reason I say I wasn't a victim is because I was really secretly hoping that they would let me go um, because I wasn't very happy, and when they did, I, I just really had no stomach to look for another law job, so um, I started really focusing on real estate, and it was essentially able to network my way into a startup multifamily investment partnership through some of the networking activities I was doing. I uh, met a woman who was um, owned a number of properties with her husband, and she was looking to make it bigger, just to get beyond um, simply you know family ownership. But she wanted to go out and and, and bring this to investors and, and build an empire. And uh, we met, and she said, "Hey, look, you know, I know you don't have experience in this, but you're a smart guy. You seem to have integrity, and um, I think you can learn this. And why don't we join up?" So I decided to take a flyer on that. And I did. And uh, that was my first venture into real estate.
1: And that was what specifically? What type, what apartment community? How big? Where was it?
0: So we were looking at assets in Louisiana and Texas. And we had a couple of deals that we got very deep into. One was for 104 units, I want to say. The other was for 120 or so. They were both in Louisiana. One was in Homa, Louisiana, which is in the middle of oil country. One was in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, they were actually the same owner that was selling both of them. And we were in contract with them. We got very deep into the process, went through the whole due diligence process, and literally at the last minute learned that the banks were dropping our, our deals. And Why? Well, to be honest with you, I think – there, there's what they said, and then there's the real reason, right? The real reason I believe is because it was just a terrible lending environment. This was 2012. The banks were very scared. They were really not willing to take chances on anything. And I think that they they had looked at the financials, and financially these properties played out really, really well. I mean, we were buying them at at a ridiculous cap rate. Um, you know, they were kind of rough. They were they were real C, maybe C-minus properties the the cash flow was tremendous and you know we would have made a ton of money on them um but the banks went down to inspect them and they just didn't like what they saw but what they saw what they reported back to us was really superficial stuff like one of the properties was next to a golf course and they found a golf ball that had gone through a window and they said oh there's broken windows from the golf balls and you know the the breezeways were were dirty and you know I mean, it was really, really ridiculous stuff. I mean, one was there are 10 down units in the building. We're like, well, yeah, but that's why we're buying it, because we're getting this huge discount and the the place is 100 percent full other than the down units. And it's got a waiting list. So we know we can bring those units back online and make a bunch of money with them. That's really the value here. But they just they just weren't willing to budge. We said, you know, what happens when the engineering report comes back? Well, it doesn't matter. We don't care. You know, the engineering report came back and said, you need to put in. You know, sixty thousand bucks to this property. We were already planning to put in about a hundred. So, it it really it really was kind of pretextual. When I talked it over with banker friends later, they said, yeah, they were just trying to get out of that deal and and look for ways to do it. But right, you know, the, so that was a you know that was a big big uh, learning experience for me. It was very painful at the time, but it in the long run turned out to be a very good experience.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's uh, that's crazy. Where you start your company. You just got let go in 2011. In 2012, you've finally formed a business. You have a partner. She is uh, putting her trust in you and your new business. Even though you don't have the track record, you are, um, as she said, a person of integrity and a smart guy. And then the first venture or one of the first ventures that you get far on, it doesn't pan out. So now, where do you go?
0: Well, so… What happened at that point, and let me sort of back up a bit, we had one of the things that I had going for me when I went into that first partnership was I had a couple of very good friends who uh, were very successful, and they had been telling me for a number of years, look, if you ever convert this fantasy of yours into a reality, we will invest with you. So when I went into that partnership with my old partner, I had these investors lined up. They were the ones who were going to do those first two deals with us, and, and help us get started with our, you know, get start building a track record. What happened after I, after we lost those two deals, uh, you know, we worked with a syndication model, so we had fronted all of those costs ourselves, and, you know, we were we were out out of pocket quite a bit. I mean, I was fortunate that i could absorb the blow because i had you know i'm a saver by nature I don't spend a lot of money so i had saved up money from my legal career so i was able to absorb the the financial hit that how, i took from
1: how much did each property cost you
0: oh i think that we wound up being out uh can't remember exactly but probably since we split all the costs we were probably out of pocket uh gosh can't remember but probably somewhere in somewhere around Twenty-five thousand bucks for each property, so maybe fifty thousand bucks altogether. Okay. You know, plus, plus all you know, financing the living costs myself um, because I wasn't getting a salary, obviously, since I was an entrepreneur. So it, you know, it was a pretty, it was a pretty big blow. But the good thing that came out of that was, I mean, there were a number of good things that came out of it. One was that you know, I didn't lose any investor money, and and that I think was a big factor in keeping those two investors interested in me. You know, I never put their money at, at risk at that point. And so when the deals went south, they were just fine. I took it myself, which I think showed them, you know, character. The other thing was that even though the deals went south, I, I just gained a tremendous amount of learning from doing those two deals. I mean we took them all the way to to closing practically. We went through the whole due diligence process uh, you know, the the lending process, uh, just really everything you can think of, except for the actual closing. So I think that also gave them a lot of confidence that I knew what I was doing. When my then partner and I decided after that, that we decided to wind things up and, and go our separate ways. Um, at that point, I sat down with one of my uh, investors just for, for dinner one night and was talking with him and Asking his advice, like, hey, well, you know, what am I going to do now? I mean, am I going to have to go back and practice, start practicing law again? And he said, hey, no, 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 wait a minute, don't, you know, don't do anything hasty. Why don't you and I become partners? Uh, I'll be, you know, in the background. You'll be the, you'll run the show. And um, and that's how Two Bridges was formed. If it hadn't been for that previous experience and and losing uh, those deals and losing all that money um, and gaining all of that that learning. I don't think that my now partner would have had the the confidence to back me in this venture. So even though it was very painful at the time, it was really a, a tremendous um, opportunity in the end.
1: It gave you some street cred.
0: Gave me street cred, gave me experience. Yeah, it just it just really provided a foundation for for what I'm doing now. And I also think it, it, it proved that, that I have persistence, that I'll stick to something, that even if things go wrong, I'm not going to bail out on them. I think I think all of those things came through from that uh, that experience.
1: All very important lessons that are inevitably learned as an entrepreneur and it's great that you learned them at the very very beginning of your of your venture. So based on your experience as a entrepreneur now and a multifamily investor who has successfully purchased two apartment communities, correct?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Well, my best advice ever kind of foreshadowed it before is persistence. If you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you just can't ever give up. I look around, one of the things I've realized from starting you know my own business now twice and failing once is that the people who succeed, particularly in this business, but I think in all businesses, don't succeed so much because they have a brilliant idea or because they're so they're super smart. Or they've thought of something that nobody else ever thought of before i think the people who succeed succeed because they just keep coming back every time something goes wrong they just keep coming back and they keep they just stick to it and i think if you stick to it long enough you'll catch a break eventually so the key really is to put yourself in a position where you can stick to it you know in my case i was able to stick to it because i was able to save up money uh, because I you know I don't go, I mean, I don't own a car. I don't own a lot of stuff that people own because I don't like to spend money on stuff that I don't really need. And because of that, I was in a position to keep on sticking to it. I think a lot of people, you know, go into business uh, underfunded or with unrealistic expectations. And as soon as those unrealistic expectations aren't met, they just give up. And it doesn't mean because they their idea was bad. doesn't mean because they were bad at it. Uh, it just means that they just gave up too soon. And you never, you really never know when success is going to meet you. It could be right around the corner. And if you don't just keep on going, you'll, you'll never find out. Um, and, and the other thing too, is that you never can really fail. It, after we lost those two deals and we lost all that money, you know, the reality of that was not nearly as bad as fearing the reality you know fearing it happen. when it actually happened. It was just like, okay, it happened. Now, you, you know, well, well, what's next? And, um, you need to kind of put yourself into that mindset beforehand and understand that if you fail, you'll live through it and, you know, come back to to fight another day and that's really what it's all about. And if you keep on keep on coming back day after day after day, eventually, you know, you'll find success.
1: I love that. And as an entrepreneur who is looking to start, you know, a business, I think any entrepreneur uh, we'll, we'll get a lot of value from that, especially in real estate, but really any, anything. I like the be persistent, but then also put yourself in a position so you can stick to it. Um, limit the, the expenses and the, you know, the the ongoing costs that you have on a day-to-day basis. Save that money, and whenever you start out on your own venture, you're able to um, you know ha- have some wiggle room. And make sure that if something does happen unexpectedly, which it will multiple times, yeah. then you'll be able to cushion the blow and keep on moving. Because it's one thing to have the psychology of I'm going to stick through this, doesn't matter what uh, happens, I'm, I'm going to make it uh, successful. And that will get you, I'd say, 90% of the way, but the other 10% is, well, you have to have some sort of financial stability or or backing uh, in order to, you know, ride through the storm, and um, that comes back to planning it out ahead of time. You know, I've, I've been in the same apartment for nine years now. And I started – when I moved to New York City, I was making less – well, right at $30,000, which may be a lot to some people, may not be a lot to some people. But for New York City cost-of-living standards, that's pretty difficult. And as I made more money in my previous career in advertising, I just kept tucking it away and kept the same apartment. And my friends make fun of me. (laughs) They make, they still make fun of me. Like, man, you're still living in that same apartment. You're living like a college kid. I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm setting myself up for the future, and I'm setting my, I'm setting my business up so that I can venture out, and, and I did venture out and do my thing and create a, create a long-term plan, wealth for myself and for, uh, you know, my loved ones.
0: I mean, there, there is nothing better to do for yourself in life than to live within your means and be and be fiscally prudent you know when i when i was practicing law i was always shocked when i talked to my colleagues about how they had no money and you know i i'm married but my wife doesn't work uh, so we were just living on my salary i had many friends who were were lawyers and they were married to other lawyers and or doctors or some other highly paid professionals and they're always complaining that they had, they had no money. And, but when you talk to them, you'd find out like, well, you know, they both owned really expensive cars and they owned a huge house and they, they had all these incredible expenses that, uh, you know, were things I just didn't feel were necessary. And, you know, here we were living modestly and just, you know, socking away the dough, um, because our, you know, our needs were, our needs were simple. And, if, you, if you're in that position, I, I don't even think it's a matter of planning. I mean, maybe just sort of general planning for the future, but I think it's a, it's a great uh, basis for being an entrepreneur if you're already that kind of person who w- just naturally wants to save money. I and mean, for me, nothing made me happier than having a big bank account, you know, like, and not, not so I could go spend it because it just made me feel secure. Um, and, you know, other people just spend every dime they get. And the, the people who are like that will not only be not ever be in a position to be an entrepreneur, but if they do start a business, their bus- they'll operate the business the same way that they operate their personal lives and they'll spend their business out of money. Um, you know, so it, it does take a, a particular mindset. I think one other key to uh, being a successful entrepreneur is you you have to have the support of your family. Um, I, I was very fortunate because. My wife you know, believed in me, and even though she wasn't working and, and you know, our only source of, of income was was now gone, she didn't pressure me to go get another job. Um, she knew that I was unhappy being a lawyer. She knew that I had a dream. She also knew that I was a prudent person and I wouldn't take unnecessary risk. You know, she supported me through all of it, and you know, here we are today. But I, I never could have done it without the support of my wife. If we were at cross purposes uh I don't think this ever could have happened
1: yeah and i I hear that a lot from people who you know have, are married you must must have the support with you know your significant other and um you know those around you, or else uh or else it's it's not it's hard enough to be an entrepreneur. On your own, but if you're having to fight the external and the home battle at the same time and justif- justify why you're doing it, because the world's going to tell you that it's a risky decision, but really the risk is continuing to live a life that you aren't fulfilled in, and no. that is the riskiest, most scariest proposition. So, are you ready for the best ever lightning round, Jonathan? Yes. All right, let's rock it
0: out. All right.
1: Best ever book you've read?
0: Yeah, I, I I can't pick a single book that's the best ever, but I I'm gonna recommend you're, a book. You're gonna kill my format then. Well, I'm sorry, but I will recommend <laughs> the, the best the best book on networking I ever read. The reason that I love this book, you know, if you're in real estate, or really if you're an entrepreneur, or, or even if you're not, if you're you know someone working for a company, networking is absolutely essential. You must build strong relationships with people. Um, It it is such a vital thing for your success, and I just can't recommend highly enough learning the skills of of successful networking. And I I read a lot of books on networking, and I recently came across one that is just fantastic. Uh, It is called How to Be a Power Connector by Judy Robinette. And the thing I like about this book so much is that not only does it talk about the usual stuff, about how... about giving value first and and building strong relationships with people but she has a really great system for keeping your networking manageable and and for and for focusing it and being strategic about it and also which i think is really like the one question i always had is she has a strategy for how you network with people who are you know more successful than you like when you go and you you meet someone who's the mega millionaire or billionaire I've always wondered, well, how do you, how do you provide value to somebody like that? Or how, how do you build a relationship with somebody like that? And she has a lot of tips in this book for how to do that. So what
1: are, a couple, that, what are a couple tips for that?
0: Well, you know, ironically enough, it's the same stuff that you do with anybody else, but she, I think it's, you know, she said that everybody has a problem, right? doesn't matter how successful you are. Everybody has, has something that they're dealing with. And, and if you can figure out how to help them, then that's how you build a relationship with them. So you know the billionaire may have some you know some issue which you didn't think is that significant, but to him, it's a big deal. I mean, he could be looking to meet somebody. he could be looking for something for his kids. He could not understand something that you know something about. And if you find out what that is and you can offer that up without seeking anything in return, then that's that's a really way to you know great way to build relationships with people like that and And the other thing that she also, points out, um, which should be obvious, but it's always good to repeat it, is particularly with people like that, you don't lead with your ask, right? You don't go and say to them, hey, you're a billionaire, you've got lots of money, can you fund my deal? Um, I mean, that doesn't work with anybody, but it especially doesn't work with guys like that because they get bombarded by that all the time. People just look at them with like a big dollar sign and and they're people and you still got to treat them like people. And the way to treat them like people is to be human with them and, and try to figure out what, what as, as human beings they need and to, to try to help them.
1: Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it?
0: Definitely failing in my first partnership. I learned that I could survive after a, a, you know, a big disappointment. I learned that that failure is not the end. It's really only just a stage. Um, and I learned that it, failure doesn't even feel like failure. it just it's just a fact, and you just learn from it and you and you move on and sometimes, as I said, it could be it could turn out to be a good thing uh, when you look at it in hindsight with with a long view.
1: best ever success habit you practice.
0: This one is a little bit obscure, but I have a the the world's greatest personal and business coach, his name is Billy Sparkle. Um, you can you He's can got Google the
1: world's him. greatest last name. Doesn't he?
0: Yeah. Billy Sparkle, the world's greatest personal growth coach. He's awesome. He has devised a bunch of really interesting tools, but one of them is called the Magic Disappearing Act. And um, I, I can't – its there's a little too much detail to it to really go into it, but the, suffice it to say it's a, a thing that you read to yourself. A couple times a day you look in the mirror and you read it and it's not an affirmation it's really sort of like reminding yourself that there are parts of you within you that are always trying to sabotage your success and the the point of this exercise is that you learn to step back and and see yourself some sort of from the outside a little bit so that that there's a little bit of space created between your reaction or you know something happening and how you react to it so that you you create that space so that you're able to say, "Oh, wait a minute. This is not reality. I'm just having this reaction. It, this is just—it's just nothing. It's just a—it's just an emotion that's not based in fact. And now you can sort of move on without it. It's been—it's been enormously helpful in really kind of getting to the next step in my career to, to work through obstacles that that used to hold me back because I realize they're not obstacles. They're just self-created thoughts.
1: It reminds me of the Tony Robbins approach where he says, first, see it it as it is but not worse than it is. Second is see it better than it is so you have to have a vision. And then third is create a plan to uh, execute on that vision. Best ever deal you've done?
0: Well, the best ever deal I've done is our second deal. I don't really want to say that the first deal wasn't a great deal, but the second deal we've done is... Uh, 132 units in Simpsonville, South Carolina. It's uh it's an older property, but fantastic shape. Um, I think we bought it at a really good price. It's performing as we expected. You know, no glitches at all. So uh, that's that's the best deal we've done.
1: Best ever quote.
0: Here's my best ever quote. Hope you can hear this. <sighs> Always with you.
1: What cannot be done hear you nothing that I say. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. that put a smile
0: on my face?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is That has always been my, my favorite quote. And I try to live my life by that Maximum. I try, <laughs> or I am saying try. I I make a real effort not even to say I'll try to do something. Either you know, either you're going to do something, or you're not going to do something. Saying you're going to try is really committing to not doing it. So if, if there's a question as to whether th- you know there's something that that is possible for you to do, then you you make a decision. Either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And Saying I'm going to try is is essentially saying you don't know, you don't know, really intend to do it. So I try to live my life by that, you know, wisdom from Yoda.
1: You try to live your life
0: by that. <laughs> 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 what? <Yeah>, Touche. Touche. <laughs> yes. No. I live my life by Yoda's wisdom. I, I Boom. Follow, there you go. I follow Yoda in all things. <laughs>
1: Hopefully not his diet because he's got some funky color to his skin. I don't know if you'd want that. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, best ever place to reach you.
0: So the best ever place to reach me is at my website, Two Bridges Asset Management LLC. Uh, the URL is actually Two Bridges spelled out with uh, MGMT for management.com. You can email me at info at Two Bridges dot com or call me at 718 718-
1: All right. Gave out the digits. It's great. And is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think you should mention?
0: Well, there's there's one thing that that I I do like to tell people, especially in the real estate business. business, If you're trying to get started in this business, um, it it is very, very easy to get caught up in the money that you think you're going to make. Um, but as with everything else, the money in this business is a product of providing a good service. You may be able to get away for a while with some, you know, sort of financial, uh, magic tricks and whatnot to, to make things look good. But at the end of the day, you've got a number of constituencies that you have to take care of, or you will not be successful in this business. And, you know, the, the first is you you have to take care of your tenants you know if you don't provide safe clean you know a, appropriately affordable housing um, that people feel good about living in they're not going to want to live there and you know you have to treat them with respect the, pe- those are people's homes you know i mean these are real people with real families those are really their homes and if you don't have that in the forefront of your mind you're not going to survive long in this business The other constituency that you have to be mindful of is is your investors. I mean, they are your lifeblood, and if you think of them as as a means to an end, uh, you know, just a bunch of dollar signs, um, you also won't last long in this business. You have to you have to understand me that you're dealing with people's hard earn savings and you're you're a steward for them and you you don't exist but for them so you have to put them first you're really the last one in in the whole uh the the hierarchy even though you're putting the deals together uh you may feel like the big shot sometimes um when you think about things you really are the the low man on the totem pole um behind your tenants behind your investors you know behind the community and and that's something that I, I really hope that people will will be mindful of when they're in this business. And if you are, uh, that's, I think, another another key to, to success.
1: Completely agree. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for taking the time out to speak with the best ever listeners. Love the story of how you got started and um, how it didn't work out and how that not working out thing turned out to be uh, a growth experience and – a learning experience that catapulted you to where you're at now. So thank you, and uh, we'll
0: talk to you soon. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.